Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 10th of February, 2024, and the title of today's show is Trump's Wins on Tucker's Putin Interview, Ruling on Biden Docs and Supreme Court Hearing. So it's been a pretty monumental week, I have to say, even more so than previous weeks. And I really think it's underscoring the view that we've had for quite some time that the White Hats are in control, especially given the circumstances around Biden and this ruling on the documents he was holding. It just seems to be a gift to Trump and almost a complete setup for Biden. But I'll go more into that later. I'm going to start with the historic interview that Tucker did with Putin. And there are several views on this, which I'll share with you. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the over two-hour interview, but it's now, or at least... The last time I looked this morning, it was at 173 million views, which knocks the mainstream media's uh, viewing levels completely out of the park. So, of course, there's a major scramble to try and discredit the interview and also claim once more that Putin is this dictator and Tucker is a traitor for even doing the interview. They're obviously getting more and more desperate by the day. So I'm going to start with a report by Vigilant Fox on his Substack, Tucker Carlson's five key takeaways from the Putin interview. Carlson named five big picture quick perceptions following his interview with Putin. And of course, if you're not aware, the interview was released on Tucker's ex account and on his network 6 p.m eastern time i believe on the 8th so it's pretty hot off the press still and i'm sure there's going to be a lot more people watching it so the the article says i'm not exactly sure what i thought of the interview remarked american journalist tucker carlson shortly after his two-hour conversation with russian president vladimir putin it's probably going to take me a year to decide what that was. Carlson said that there's no question that Putin is smart. However, he expressed that the Russian president is not good at explaining himself. I'm not quite sure I agree with that, but anyway, continuing. Nonetheless, Carlson named five big picture quick perceptions following his interview with Putin. Number one. Putin is very wounded by the rejection of the West. 
During the interview, Putin shared an account with then-President Bill Clinton about the possibility of Russia joining NATO. According to Putin, Clinton first answered, I think so, to the proposition. But after speaking with others, he said it's not possible. Carlson asked Putin if he was sincere about joining NATO, and Putin clarified that he genuinely wanted to know if membership was a possibility. He indicated that a positive response from the West could have led to a process of reconciliation and potentially eventual membership into NATO. Carlson concluded in his post-interview statements, that's the whole point of NATO, I guess, is to contain Russia, and Putin is wounded by this. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that, actually, because I think it's more a case that he was disappointed that even after the end of the Cold War, he and Russia were isolated from the rest of the world and deemed to still be the enemy. Number two, Russia is not an expansionist power. Carlson declared, you have to be an idiot to think that Russia is an expansionist power. Why does Carlson think that? Because Russia is too big already. It's the biggest landmass in the world. They only have 150 million people. He added, they've got more than enough natural resources. They're swimming in natural resources. They don't have enough people in their view. So the idea that they want to take over Poland, why would you want to do that? They just want secure borders. Number three, Putin likely wants peace in Ukraine. The next bit seems to be rather badly worded, but anyway, I'll share what he said. Carlson shared he, Putin, was willing to admit that he wants a peace deal in and sort of give it away and just say that out loud. He said it a couple of different times. Again, maybe he's lying in ways I didn't perceive, but he kept saying it, and I don't know why he would say it if he didn't mean it. As a matter of fact, Carlson continued, there is evidence overwhelming that there was a peace deal or part of a peace deal with the beginning of peace talks, a settlement of some sort on the table a year and a half ago that the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, scuttled on behalf of the Biden administration and convinced Zelensky and the Ukrainian government not to enter into these talks. I mean, that's kind of an established fact. The Israelis were there. They revealed this. That happened. Number four, demands for Russia to relinquish Crimea are insane. US officials have said on the record and have said to me and are telling a bunch of people that part of the terms have to be Russia giving up Crimea, Carlson exclaimed. He added, Crimea was in Russian hands at the beginning of this war and warned Putin would go to war, nuclear war, if it came down to Crimea. So if you really think that a condition of peace is that Putin is going to give up Crimea, then you're like a lunatic. Number five, the United States' track record with regime change is spotty at best. We are run by nutcases, Carlson deplored, the president and that poisonous moron Victoria Newland. Oh, we're going to depose Putin. Well then, what happens, Carlson asked. He recalled past incidents in recent US history where depositions of foreign leaders did not go so well. 
what happened in Libya when we deposed and allowed, you know, Gaddafi to be murdered, what happened in Iraq when we brought Saddam to justice. Those countries fell apart and they have never been rebuilt again. Carlson continued, in Afghanistan we took out the central government and they came back. It's still run by the Taliban, so our track record of knocking out the leader, which is very easy to do, is spotty at best. Things don't always get better. And to do that to Russia, the largest landmass in the world with the largest nuclear arsenal, you're on drugs if you think that's a good idea. Now, please bear in mind that there are a lot of interpretations of Tucker and Putin's behavior during this interview. So I would urge you to actually watch it yourself and get your own impressions of it. But I'm going to share another article on the subject, and this is from Dr. Joseph Sanson on Substack. Tucker, the last American journalist in a war to break America. This was published on the 9th. Tucker Carlson's interview of Russian President Vladimir Putin has faced vicious assault from government and corporate-controlled fake news outlets and personalities. The Pfizer pimps are in rampage mode. Attacks range from calling Tucker Carlson a useful idiot, that was Hillary Clinton, by the way, to a Putin stooge and Putin porn and propagandist along with the constant repetition that Tucker Carlson is not a journalist. Of course, Tucker Carlson is actually a journalist, and in a sense, maybe the last American journalist that arose out of the legacy media. The fear and vicious attacks by media propagandists towards Tucker Carlson for interviewing Putin demonstrate how potentially dangerous this interview is to the current regime. The message is, you don't need to give your attention to this, we'll tell you what to think. This will work on many people, however in general will backfire, and this interview is likely to be one of the most watched in history, at least in the United States. So-called journalists should have been interviewing Putin a few times a year over the past 24 years. Remember, there are three sides to every coin your side, the other side, and that thin side that nobody pays attention to is the truth. Yet these inquiring minds had no curiosity for a quarter of a century. Why is there so much fear over this interview? We'll get to that. Tucker Carlson's interview of Russian President Vladimir Putin lasted over two hours. Putin gave a long history of the region to start the interview before addressing the contemporary situation. It was an interesting interview. Tucker should have interjected more, although at times it seemed he was intrigued, and at other times it appeared that he did not want to act disrespectfully with the head of state. The most striking difference between listening and watching the Russian president and an American president being interviewed was the contrast between watching a knowledgeable person give detailed explanations and a puppet provides sound bites to pre-screen questions. The fear of this interview is in part to the history lesson given by Putin. Although the dictator could have been more effective if he condensed that presentation, I'm not agreeing with his take on Putin being a dictator, by the way. He's actually one of the few leaders fighting the globalist agenda. 
It was the contemporary history lesson that is the threat. Putin's rehashing of the expansion of NATO since the 1990s against Russia's objections and in violation of agreements, the color revolution and CIA orchestrated coup in Ukraine, the 2014 bombing of Donbass by Ukraine, are all issues that the fake media would prefer to keep concealed from Americans. Even more of a threat is the fact that Putin exemplifies leadership, at least from a Russian perspective, and is very capable of presenting a logical, coherent case for his perspective and dispel the media myth that he is an out-of-control madman. Maybe a worse threat is the fact that Putin is signalling that a negotiated peace in Ukraine is acceptable, and the West is rigidly opposing this. If Americans process Putin's statements about the Russian hypersonic missiles and weapons programs, then it may actually register how reckless the rhetoric and actions America and the West have taken. The responsible response from the United States would have been to immediately seek to de-escalate the conflict to reduce loss of innocent lives in Ukraine and to avoid the potentiality of a direct conflict with Russia. Some argue that due to the reduction of nuclear weapons, that a nuclear war with Russia would not destroy the planet and only about 4 billion people would die. That's encouraging. Instead of responsibly seeking to de-escalate the conflict, the United States and NATO went into full-blown propaganda mode. The effectiveness of this propaganda campaign, easily measured at the time by watching the dum-dums switch their social media frames from virtue signalling that they got the C-19 bioweapon injection to I stand with Ukraine frames. Military aid and funds were pumped into the dark money laundering slush fund called Ukraine and the United States and NATO decided to fight a proxy war against Russia. Apparently, nobody read the Proxy War 101 handbook that you only fight proxy wars in third world countries and that it is totally moronic to fight a proxy war in the neighbouring country of the other major power. The only potential outcomes of such a proxy war would be the destruction of the superpower in question or a crushing defeat for those engaging in such a proxy war. The latter appears to have occurred. What was the purpose of engaging in such a stupid foreign policy adventure? The Russia-Ukraine war appears designed to break America. Surely nobody thought that it was to defeat Russia. I suppose it's possible that there were some idiots that thought that was a possibility, but let's leave that off the table and consider other potentialities. In doing so, it should be noted that very rarely do the people that pull the strings behind the scenes have a single objective. They usually have a dozen or so goals behind an action so that there is always movement toward their goals. The obvious goal of cashing in on the killing is definitely a subsidiary, if not one of the primary objectives. Depopulating in Ukraine is a viable secondary objective. As already inferred, laundering money through Ukraine was at a minimum a secondary goal. Still, consider the conflict from the perspective of globalism. If the intention was to break the United States, then that goal has been furthered. 
In fact, consider the possibility that the US military, since at least the post-Cold War, has been a mercenary force for globalists to further the goal of world government while simultaneously depleting America of its resources. This is necessary for the creation of a world government. An American-dominated world interferes with the globalist designs. The gradual displacement of the dollar, global realignments, all run contrary to American interests. If the purpose wasn't to facilitate the displacement of the United States as a dominant world power, it is an unintended consequence. In the interview, Putin points out that Russia's economy has been boosted and the US dollar has been hurt. The conflict is facilitating the creation of a multipolar world. The Russian head of state mentioned the Roman Empire and its decline within the context of the modern world and the rapidity of the evolution of events. History does appear to be moving faster. Pax Romana may have lasted 500 years. Pax Americana appears to have lasted about 35 years or so. The American NATO course of action of escalating the Russia-Ukraine war was a blunder, to say the least. I guess we can never underestimate human stupidity. Bioclandestine on his substack also comments why the deep state refused to negotiate with Putin. Putin appears to be extending an olive branch to the West. He is willing to negotiate. The only problem is Biden and the deep state cannot negotiate because Putin wants justice for bioweapon development in Ukraine. This is why they are willing to start World War III and waste hundreds of billions rather than negotiate because Putin's demands will result in their prosecution for crimes against humanity. This is why the Biden regime have not called Putin because they never had any intention of negotiating an end to this war. Putin is waiting for Trump to return to negotiate a deal because Trump does not have any crimes or assets in Ukraine to cover up. This is why Trump can end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours, because Trump and Putin have the same objective of destroying the deep state. One of the major points that Putin made during his interview, which these articles haven't covered, is how he was saying that this all started with the colour revolution led by the CIA and Victoria Newland, which was to replace the duly elected president of Ukraine and put in their own puppet president. And soon after that began Ukraine bombing the Donbass, which is populated by Russian-speaking people who actually wanted to be part of Russia. And this whole background contradicts the claims that Putin was the aggressor when he was stepping in to stop the murder of all these civilians by their own Ukrainian government. I'm going to end this subject with a tweet, or an ex-post, I should say, from Merch at the Executioner. And he gives his takeaways from the interview What was yours? Number one, the US-backed coup d'etat started this war in 2014, which I just mentioned. 
Ukraine violated the Minsk agreements. Russia doesn't want NATO that close to them. Three, Russia doesn't want the neo-Nazism in Ukraine. Four, the US media propaganda machine controls most of the world's media. Five, the CIA blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Six, the war could be over in weeks if the US would stop sending money. Seven, Russia is willing to negotiate. Eight, there has been no contact from Biden to Putin in years. I have read from other fake news outlets that the interview was tense and that Tucker and Putin were upset with each other. I never saw that, not once. They seemed cordial and polite to each other the entire interview. Actually, I do have another key article to share because one of the other things that was revealed in the interview, which has been out for quite some time, was that um, Biden asked Boris Johnson to go and basically scupper the agreement that was being made to secure peace between Ukraine and Russia. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson calls Tucker Carlson a traitor for holding an interview with Vlad Putin. In the interview, Tucker Carlson discussed many topics such as the war in Ukraine, imprisoned WSJ reporter Ivan Gershkovich, the Nord Stream pipeline, NATO, Bill Clinton and much more. At one point during the interview, Vladimir Putin discussed the open U.S. border with Mexico. Putin asked Tucker Carlson why America was fighting for Ukraine's border and refusing to defend its own border. The far-left American media was outraged that Tucker Carlson would sit with Vladimir Putin and hold an open conversation about Russia and the West. Former British Prime Minister was outraged that Tucker would perform actual journalism. The failed Prime Minister labelled Tucker Carlson a traitor for holding the interview. Wow, that's a bit dramatic. Via the Hill, Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, called out Conservative commentator Tucker Carlson for interviewing Russian President Vladimir Putin. Quote, around the world, people are watching that ludicrous interview with Vladimir Putin conducted by Tucker Carlson. And we must not fall for this tissue of lies above all for the notion that Putin is somehow fated to succeed in Ukraine. On the contrary, he is doomed to failure, Johnson said in a video posted by the Daily Mail. Carlson, a former pundit at Fox News, was pulled off the air by the network last year and has since launched his own media company and program on X, formerly known as Twitter. He announced Tuesday he would interview Putin, the first time a member of the Western media interviewed the Russian leader since he invaded Ukraine nearly two years ago. Johnson, in a Daily Mail op-ed Friday, criticised Carlson's interviewing, saying he was fawning, guffawing and had slack-jawed happiness at having a scoop. The former Prime Minister said he betrayed viewers around the world. And the article includes a tweet from Colin Rugg, New Boris Johnson has meltdown after the Tucker Carlson-Vladimir Putin interview calls Carlson a traitor. Johnson is likely fuming due to Putin's claim that he stopped a peace deal. 
Now, as far as Boris Johnson is concerned, I've said many times, I believe when he announced his COVID-19 infection going back several years and then ended up in hospital and in intensive care, when he came out, he seemed like a completely different person. And in the video that he put out, making all these claims that Tucker Carlson is a traitor, it really doesn't look anything like him. So I think he was swapped out. Also, the EU were calling for sanctions against Tucker, and other people were even saying that he shouldn't be allowed back into the US. So there's definitely panic in the deep state going on, and there's more of that to come. So as well as a win for Trump from Putin's statement that he was waiting for Trump to come back so that they could negotiate peace, he's had a, another major win this week with the release of the DOJ special counsel's report relating to the classified documents that Biden was holding. Not only did he get a very different um, verdict, shall we say, uh, compared with Trump being indicted, um, it's also called into question his whole position as the resident, I won't use the word president, for obvious reasons. And this is Epoch Times, Biden's nightmare week, scrutiny mounts over mental fitness following damaging DOJ report. The White House attacked the special counsel's comments, calling them gratuitous and politically motivated. President Joe Biden has probably had one of the most difficult weeks of his political life, with his mental acuity called into question by a special counsel report detailing instances of memory lapses. Special counsel Robert Hur's report, issued Thursday, found evidence that President Biden willfully retained and shared highly classified information after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen, but determined that evidence didn't support charging the president. In his 388-page report to Attorney General Merrick Garland, Mr. Hur also included a highly critical evaluation of the 81-year-old president's mental fitness, describing him as, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, end quote. The report referred to the president's memory as hazy, significantly limited, faulty and poor. The White House attacked the report's findings about the president's memory, calling them gratuitous and politically motivated. During an interview with the special counsel's office, President Biden displayed poor memory as he couldn't recall the start or end of his vice presidency, the report said. President Biden also struggled to recall significant events such as the timing of his son Beau's death and details about important matters like the Afghanistan debate, according to the report. Vice President Kamala Harris blasted the special counsel as being wrong on the facts in response to a reporter's question. I actually find this quite hilarious, to be honest. Listen, I've been privileged and proud to serve as Vice President of the United States with Joe Biden as President of the United States. 
And what I saw of that report last night, I believe as a former prosecutor, the comments that were made by that prosecutor, gratuitous, inaccurate and inappropriate, she said on Friday. So the way that the president's demeanor in that report was characterized could not be more wrong on the facts and clearly politically motivated, she added. Ian Sams, a spokesperson for the White House Counsel's Office, declined to describe Mr. Hur's motivation directly, but claimed that the special counsel's views might be influenced by political pressure from Republicans. The gratuitous comments in the report are troubling and they're inappropriate, he told reporters during a press briefing on Friday. Mr. Garland appointed Mr. Hur as a special counsel in January 2023 to lead the probe into President Biden's handling of classified documents. He is a former federal prosecutor with a, quote, long and distinguished career, end quote, Mr. Garland said of him at the time. My memory is fine. President Biden was visiting the House Democratic Retreat in Virginia when the report was released on Thursday afternoon. After the comments from the special counsel hit the headlines, the president hurriedly summoned a press conference that evening to address the growing concerns surrounding his age and memory. My memory is fine, President Biden said angrily amidst intense questioning from the press. He slammed the special counsel for questioning his mental acuity and became upset while responding to the report's comments about his recollection of when his son died. How in the hell dare he raise that, he said. He also fired back at Fox News's Peter Ducey saying, my memory is so bad I let you speak. Later, the Biden campaign used the video clip featuring that question and answer for the campaign's advertisement. Critics argue that former President Donald Trump doesn't face as much media scrutiny regarding mental acuity or verbal blunders as President Biden does. They assert that the former president, who is the GOP frontrunner, has also exhibited troubling instances of confusion, such as recently mixing up Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi. I support candidates based on their policies and policy results, not pronunciation. Anne Lewis, a Democratic strategist and former White House communications director under the Clinton administration, told the Epoch Times. That's why I enthusiastically support Joe Biden. Hmm. Verbal blunders. It was a challenging week for President Biden. Before the special counsel's report, he faced media scrutiny for mentioning deceased European leaders while discussing recent conversations with his global counterparts. President Biden, in a speech on February 4th, confused French President Emmanuel Macron with deceased French leader François Mitterrand. He also mixed up former Chancellor Angela Merkel with deceased German leader Helmut Kohl on February 7th. While defending his memory on Thursday evening, he also mixed up the leaders of Mexico and Egypt, referring to Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi as the President of Mexico. Lately, there has been much speculation regarding whether the president has dementia. According to Roger Klein, a doctor and former advisor to the Department of Health and Human Services, 
the president's behaviour is, quote, very concerning, end quote. Without really examining him and talking to him directly, it's hard to make a definitive statement, Mr. Klein told the Epoch Times. For example, the presidency is a very tough job and he could be fatigued. So I don't want to make definitive pronouncements, but it's very suspicious and very concerning, he said. It's suspicious for, especially in the context of his overall appearance and his facial expressions, cognitive decline or dementia, he added. President Biden is the oldest sitting president in American history. If he wins re-election, he'll be 86 by the end of his second term. Nearly 76% of voters, including half of Democrats, say they have concerns about President Biden's lack of mental and physical fitness to be president for a second term, according to the latest NBC News poll. In contrast, when asked about President Trump's eligibility for a second term at the age of 77, 48% expressed similar concerns. Past presidents' mental health. It's not uncommon for presidents to face scrutiny regarding their health, says David Pietrusa, a presidential historian. For example, he recalled Woodrow Wilson famously suffering a series of strokes that led to his incapacitation in 1919 to 1920. Dwight Eisenhower also endured a heart attack in 1955 and ileitis surgery in June 1956. Furthermore, observers raised doubts about Ronald Reagan's mental abilities towards the end of his first term. Both Ike and President Reagan won re-election in landslides, he said. No president, aside from Mr Biden, has suffered the indignity of having his mental capacities and age so harshly questioned in an official document publicly released by his own administration, Mr Pietrusa told the Epoch Times. And none have had to publicly fend off media questions about their capacity in the manner that President Biden has, he noted. Frankly, I was stunned by yesterday's events, he said. According to John Gitsey, a veteran White House correspondent and Newsmax's chief political columnist, the closest he has ever seen a president's cognitive ability questioned was in 1987 when 76-year-old President Reagan came under fire. President Reagan stated that he had no recollection of ever being informed that profits from Iran weapons sales were diverted to the Nicaraguan Contras, which became known as the Iran-Contra scandal. In the weeks and months ahead, Reagan would deliver a much-praised State of the Union address, hold at least one press conference, and do several sit-down interviews. His popularity rose, and questions faded about his mental status, Mr Gitsy told the Epoch Times. He and his staff dealt with a matter in which questions about his mental condition could have metastasized, but instead were put to rest. Now the question remains whether President Biden and his staff can dispel the recent doubts about his mental acuity ahead of the 2024 election. He's going to have difficulty overcoming these problems, says Mr. Klein. His strategy has been not to put himself in positions where he's unscripted in public. And interestingly, he's actually turned down the interview at the Super Bowl uh, this weekend, 
which is rather indicative that he can't ad-lib in front of a camera, even for a few minutes. And many people have been contrasting his abilities with Putin's ability to um, conduct an unscripted interview that lasts two hours with Tucker Carlson. It's also opened the doors for Trump to challenge his own indictments over these documents because what he's claiming, so I understand, is that there's a, an unequal application of the law between the case against Trump, who as president was legally able to declassify documents and to hold them, versus um, Biden, who as a senator and even as a vice president had no authority to retain or even steal, as he's been accused of, classified documents. Plus the fact that he was holding them in unsecure locations. And as the report says, he was actually reading them out to his ghostwriter back in 2017, I believe. Now, the reason that Trump has a win with this is, of course, A, the fact that Biden has been described as an elderly man with a poor memory, <laughs> but also the fact that it has opened up this whole question around Trump's indictments. But I also read that um, special counsel Robert Hur was a Trump appointee. And it occurred to me that this is another indication that we are watching a movie here, that this was all designed by the White Hats to basically undermine Biden, because, of course, we know that the guy is being played by an actor. It's certainly not Biden. So I think this is just the plot unfolding in the takedown of Biden. And of course, even CNN is now calling out Biden's lies in that press conference that he held. This is a report by Western Journal. Biden's bad week gets worse. CNN fact checker piles on by thoroughly debunking major claims. When a prominent Democrat loses CNN, they know they're in trouble, or at least they should. Questions about President Joe Biden's age and mental acuity have been swirling for some time now. But I've got to believe that even he knows he's in rough shape after a CNN fact check noted three false claims the president made during Thursday night's news conference, a conference that even the left-leaning Axios called a presidential debacle. CNN said that Biden forcefully argued against her's description of Biden's failing memory, but then made repeatedly inaccurate statements during the media event, which I suppose means that if we take his word that his memory is solid, the president is a flat-out liar and a bad one at that. According to CNN, Biden made at least three important false claims Thursday, including claims about the type of information found at his residence, how it was stored, and what classified information he had shared with the ghostwriter of his 2017 book, 
Promise me, Dad. Biden said that he could guarantee that he passed on no classified information to Mark Zwanitzer, who ghostwrote the book. When a reporter said during his news conference that her reported that he had, Biden denied it. No, they did not say that, Biden claimed. He did not say that, except that he did. Her did say that, CNN confirmed, writing explicitly that Mr. Biden shared information, including some classified information from those notebooks with his ghostwriter. He elaborated that Biden shared classified information with his ghostwriter by reading nearly verbatim from his notebooks on at least three occasions, including his notes from meetings in the Situation Room. Hur did acknowledge in his report, however, that there were times when Biden had apparently provided some information but withheld other material he knew to be classified and that it was possible that in some cases Biden didn't know the material in question was classified. It wasn't immediately known whether any of that material made it into the book, but Hur said he had not heard any allegations that it had CNN reported. Biden also claimed that all of the material found in his residence had been, quote, in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked, end quote, according to the outlet, except that it wasn't. The special counsel's report says that while some of the classified documents were found in cabinet drawers in Biden's Delaware home, other classified documents about Afghanistan were found in an unsealed and badly damaged box sitting in his garage alongside an assortment of other items the special counsel described as household detritus, CNN said in refutation of Biden's false claim. The report includes a photo of the box. Other documents were found in unlocked drawers in the office and basement den in Biden's home, according to Hur's report, as cited by the outlet. Finally, Biden claimed that he only had possession of material that had been classified at the lower levels of sensitivity, except that he didn't. Her reported the discovery of documents in Biden's possession that had markings identifying them as top-secret, stroke, sensitive, compartmented information, a very high level of classification, plus handwritten notebooks from Biden's time as vice president that weren't marked as classified but that contain information that remains classified up to the top secret stroke sensitive compartmented information level, CNN reported. The unauthorized disclosure of this information, both today and in 2017, when Mr. Biden was no longer vice president, reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security, Her wrote in his report. CNN did, of course, attempt to soften the blow by comparing Biden's illegal retention of classified material with that of former President Donald Trump's, who did allegedly hold on to more material. But still, the fact that CNN, which typically acts as the media arm of the Democratic Party, was even willing to fact-check their fearless leader in the first place, would seem to indicate that Biden's days are numbered. 
the only question is whether the 81-year-old Biden retains the perspicuity to realise it. And of course, there have been rumours for months now about the Democrats wanting to replace Biden as the Democrat nominee in the 2024 presidential election. Uh, names that have been dropped are Gavin Newsom, who's created an absolute catastrophe in California, and of course, Big Mike, Michelle Obama. Uh, even Nikki Haley has been mentioned because she's probably more of a Democrat than a lot of Democrats <laughs> after her miserable showing as a, a contender for the, for the Republican presidential nomination, especially in the Nevada primary where she lost to none of the above by a huge margin. <laughs> Please remember that we are watching a movie here and it's becoming more and more apparent to me by the day. I've also read that there are several courses of action being considered in terms of removing Biden from office, one of them being the 25th Amendment, of course, relating to a president who is unfit to serve, as well as impeachment. So we'll have to wait and see whether any of that happens. The other thing that's happened this week, which is looking very positive for Trump, is the hearing by the Supreme Court of this um, case in Colorado to remove Trump from the 2024 ballot. And Epoch Times reports on this, Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts warns of daunting consequences of Trump ballot ban. It'll come down to just a handful of states that are going to decide the presidential election, the justice says. As the US Supreme Court on Thursday heard two hours of arguments in a Colorado case to remove former President Donald Trump from the ballot, Chief Justice John Roberts suggested that if he's pulled, other states would eventually do the same to other candidates. It'll come down to just a handful of states that are going to decide the presidential election, Justice Roberts said. That's a pretty daunting consequence. Such a move, he added, will be inconsistent with the history and purpose of the Constitution's 14th Amendment, coming about two months after Colorado's Supreme Court ruled the former president could be barred from the state's ballot under a provision of that amendment. I would expect that a goodly number of states will say, whoever the Democratic candidate is, you're off the ballot, the Chief Justice added, speaking to Jason Murray, the lawyer representing several voters who sued to keep the former president from appearing on the Colorado ballot. Justice Roberts asked Jonathan Mitchell, President Trump's attorney, whether a state's top elections official could disqualify a candidate who comes forward and says he took the oath mentioned in the provision and engaged in an insurrection. If the candidate is an admitted insurrectionist, Section 3 still allows the candidate to run for office and even win election to office and then see whether Congress lifts that disability after the election, Mr Mitchell said. Anti-Trump groups have sought to disqualify him in more than two dozen other states in what appears to have been a mostly unsuccessful effort over his actions after the 2020 presidential election. 
Days after the Colorado court ruling, Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows barred President Trump from its ballot, a decision on hold pending the Supreme Court's ruling. During the hearing, President Trump's lawyers argued that the amendment can't be used to keep him off the ballot for several reasons. They said that the Capitol breach during the January 6th riot wasn't an insurrection, and even if it was, President Trump did not go to the Capitol or join the rioters. The wording of the amendment, they said, also excludes the presidency and candidates running for president. Even if they are wrong about all of that, they argue that Congress must pass legislation to reinvigorate Section 3. The lawyers of Colorado voters who sued to remove President Trump's name from the Colorado ballot claim that there is ample evidence that the events of January 6 constituted an insurrection and that President Trump incited it. They say it would be absurd to apply Section 3 to everything but the presidency or that the former president is somehow exempt and the provision needs no enabling legislation, they argue. Congress passed the 14th Amendment during the post-Civil War Reconstruction era in a bid to clamp down on southern states and reassert federal power. During another portion of the hearing, Justice Roberts suggested that one of the main 14th Amendment-related arguments went against the history of the insurrection provision in the amendment. The whole point of the 14th Amendment was to restrict state power, Justice Roberts said. On the other hand, it augmented federal power. Justice Clarence Thomas raised a similar point during the hearing, asking Mr Murray why there were not more examples of individual states disqualifying candidates using the 14th Amendment after the Civil War. There were a plethora of Confederates still around. There were any number of people who would continue to either run for state offices or national offices, so it would seem, that would suggest there would at least be a few examples of national candidates being disqualified, Justice Thomas said. There were certainly national candidates disqualified by Congress refusing to seat them, Mr Murray responded. I understand, but that's not this case. States disqualify them. That's what we're talking about here, Justice Thomas responded. In other activity, President Trump could be back before the Supreme Court in a matter of days to seek an emergency order to keep his election subversion trial on hold so he can appeal lower court rulings that he is not immune from criminal charges. At the same time, he is separately appealing the main ballot ruling. The Supreme Court also will hear an appeal in April from one of the more than 1,200 people charged in the January 6 Capitol breach. The case could upend a charge prosecutors have brought against more than 300 people, including President Trump. The High Court last played so central a role in presidential politics in its 5-4 decision that effectively ended the disputed 2000 election in favour of George W. Bush. Justice Thomas is the only member of the court who also took part in Bush v. Gore. In response to Thursday's hearing, President Trump told reporters that he believed his legal team prevailed. I thought the presentation today was a very good one. I think it was well received, he said. I hope it was well received. 
you have millions of people that are out there wanting to vote and they happen to want to vote for me or the Republican Party. There's also more good news coming out for Trump related to the Georgia case against him, which relates to him challenging the results of the 2020 election. And this relates to Fannie Willis. Brian Cates posted on X, I can't even begin to tell you all the lines this crosses. Holy shit, Fannie is not only going to end up having all these cases dropped, she's going to be very lucky to not get disbarred and end up in jail. Okay, I'll take a stab at it beginning to tell you just how bad this is. Prosecutors at any level, county, state or federal, are very well aware that it is a major breach of a defendant's rights to be sharing their prosecution evidence directly with the press. Until a defendant is declared guilty, guilty, guilty by a jury, the presumption of innocence takes precedence. This is why prosecutors by law and by rule use a secret grand jury system to investigate potential defendants for accused crimes. Did you know many people who are investigated for serious crimes by a secret grand jury are never charged because either the accusation is found to be false or there simply isn't enough concrete evidence for the grand jury to return an indictment or for the prosecutor to pursue the case in court? It's true. So protecting the names of the people investigated who are never charged with anything is of paramount importance. And I'm pretty effing sure from what I'm seeing right now, this vapid bitch was sharing all her info and evidence with this reporter and maybe other members of the media long before this stuff got to the trial phase. She was sharing secret grand jury material with reporters. Absolutely effing stunning if she did this. And based on everything else she's been caught doing, I would not rule it. I would say there's a very strong possibility she shared grand jury materials and deliberations on people never indicted with the press. And even if suspects did have an indictment returned against them by the grand jury, Willis has violated the right of confidentiality by sharing evidence against them with reporters before the unsealing of their indictment and then during the discovery phase, which is where the defendant's cases are at currently. There is a reason stuff is done confidentially and under seal during the grand jury, indictment, arraignment and discovery phases of a prosecution before a trial actually starts in the courtroom. Only once the trial starts is anybody not directly involved in the case supposed to be seeing what the state's case is against the accused. So when a prosecutor is able to convince a grand jury there is enough evidence to sustain an indictment of a prospective defendant, after that indictment is unsealed in court and the defendant has legal counsel present and enters a plea, most if not all of the state's case against the accused is kept strictly under wraps until the trial begins. This is to protect the rights of the accused. Only after the state's full case against the accused has been aired in court before a jury or judge does anybody outside the court, the defendant's team or the prosecution team get to see what all the evidence is. 
So what happened here was direct violation of the rights of every single defendant going to trial in these cases in Fulton County, Georgia. A prosecutor before discovery is even finished in all these cases. Sharing the evidence with the press in secret is not only grounds for dismissing all of the cases. Willis is going to be extremely lucky if she does not get disbarred and sent to prison for a brief term, likely a few months. Everybody who expected the next 10 months in Georgia to be filled with scenes of Trump and his co-defendants hysterically trying to fend off the heroic and noble public servant Fanny Willis is she closes in on them and begins sending them to prison. Congratulations, you're about to spend the next 10 months watching a very, very different movie from the one you expected. And this was in response to a post by Hans Monkey. This is wild. Fanny Willis allegedly gave access to Michael Isikoff. Yes, that Michael Isikoff, the Russiagate hoaxer, of all things to do with her Trump investigation, including exclusive access to thousands of secret documents, emails, text messages and audio recordings. And Brian Cates adds an addendum. I just realised many people are not going to understand why all the shit she's been caught doing so far spells the dismissal of all of Fanny's cases. Not just the Trump cases, all her cases. When a prosecutor engages in blatant in-your-face misconduct, their prosecution cannot go forward. People who think, ah, no problem, they give Fanny the hook and insert another prosecutor and voila, problem solved, doesn't know how this actually works. All her cases are tainted now beyond recovery. So they have only two options and both of them really freaking suck if you're anti-Trump. Number one, give Fanny the hook, dismiss all her cases and start all over again with a new prosecution team starting from scratch. New grand juries, new indictments, which will take about a year. Number two, ditch Fanny, end it. My take? Since they never really had a case to begin with, and they know this, the whole thing was smoke and mirrors, because this was all about election interference, and if they have to start all over again with a new prosecution team, They'll never get it to trial before November. Starting over again means a year and a half minimum. They ditch Fanny and end it. And of course, this is on top of all the um, alleged financial misconduct by Fanny Willis and her lover, Wade, who is her main prosecutor in these cases. So I think she's going to have a pretty difficult time here. And it's time we got another of these corrupt legal people out of the whole DOJ system. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been a pretty monumental week, as I shared at the beginning of the show. And I can't wait to see what happens this coming week <laughs> to share with you next Saturday. And I hope you'll join me again next Saturday. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and for Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. Find him at mysticalwares.com. And just a quick reminder that you can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net. So until next time, stay well, be safe and bye for now. 
You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.